Welcome to RBC's Markets in Motion podcast, recorded February 14, 2022. I'm Lori Calvacina, Head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. This week in the podcast, we run through our latest thoughts on earnings, sentiment, trends in high-frequency indicators, and Russia-Ukraine. Five big things you need to know. First, with 4Q reporting season starting to wind down, the earnings outlook remains stable. Second, in terms of the rate of upward earnings revisions, value and cyclicals continue to outshine defensives and secular growth. Third, retail investor sentiment has started to stabilize on the AAII survey, and positioning in NASDAQ and Russell 2000 futures also suggests both growth and small caps are starting to look oversold. Fourth, high-frequency indicators are still recovering for the most part, casting doubt on recession fears. And fifth, while we continue to believe the Fed is mostly priced into the S&P 500, a Russian invasion of Ukraine may not be and currently presents one of the key risks to the stock market to monitor. If you'd like to hear more, here's another six minutes. While you're waiting, a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple and other major podcast platforms. Now the details. Takeaway number one. With 4Q reporting season starting to wind down, the earnings outlook remains stable. This is a theme we've been talking about for the past few weeks. There's been no change in bottom-up 2021, 2022, or 2023 earnings forecasts over the past week, and they're all up a little since mid-January. Additionally, the rate of upward earnings revisions, a key gauge of forward-looking earnings sentiment for the S&P 500, is still tracking slightly positive at 56% to the upside. And the percent of companies trading down meaningfully post-results continues to ease, meaning stocks are reacting better to their earnings prints lately. Takeaway number two. In terms of the rate of upward earnings estimate revisions, which again is a way to look at forward-looking earnings sentiment, value and cyclicals continue to outshine defensives and secular growth. Value looks better than growth on the rate of upward revisions among the sell side. Cyclical sectors also look better than secular growth and defensive-oriented sectors on this metric. Looking by individual sector, what's also really interesting is that there's a clear bifurcation within the broader TIMT complex. The communication services sector, which contains most internet names, remains the weakest sector on the rate of upward revisions, while classic tech, semi-services hardware and software, is near the top of the rankings, lagging behind only energy, financials, and REITs. Takeaway number three. Retail investor sentiment has started to stabilize on the AAII survey, and positioning in NASDAQ and Russell 2000 futures also suggests both growth and small caps are oversold. Recently, we've been highlighting how net bulls on the AAII survey fell to minus 29.8% on January 27th. That's the same day the S&P 500 saw its year-to-date lows. That's important because this was in line with pandemic lows on the survey, and when this indicator is below minus 10% on a four-week average, it's been a very strong contrarian buy signal for the S&P 500. What we've seen is that the market tends to rise about 86% of the time over the next 12 months, with an average gain of 15%. We're still in buy territory, with last week's reading coming in at minus 11% in favor of the bears. This has happened as bears have started to retreat, though we've yet to see the bulls really pick up. I think that's important context for Friday's consumer sentiment report from the University of Michigan. Headline sentiment fell back to levels in line with lows that we've seen in the middle of some past recessions. Additionally, views on buying conditions for large household items, a proxy for inflation and supply chain fears and frustrations, came in at the lowest level we've seen in 40 years. 
these two data points, along with our work showing that we achieved average PE contraction that we tend to see in Fed hiking cycles on January 27th, are all suggesting to us that we've seen peak Fed fear in the equity market. That idea of peak fear on Fed hawkishness is also something our rate strategy team highlighted on Friday when talk of an emergency hike was percolating. I think we're also essentially back to oversold conditions on the growth trade and the small cap trade as well. According to Friday's CFTC release, positioning in NASDAQ contracts as of last Tuesday was on the cusp of net short territory and very close to the lows of March 2020, March 2021, and May 2021, though it was still above the lows of 2010 and early late 2018. Meanwhile, Russell 2000 futures positioning has actually entered net short territory. While it isn't back to 08, 2011, or 2016 lows just yet, it is starting to approach 2019 and 2020 lows. Moving on to takeaway number four, and we'll do this one quickly. High frequency indicators are still recovering for the most part, casting doubt on recession fears for now. The recovery from the Omicron wave seems to be well underway, with improvements in dining and flying and back to work. Redbook same-store sales have eased a bit, but again, descriptions of consumer demand seem mostly healthy based on what we're reading in earnings call transcripts. This softness alongside the pickup in flying and dining may speak more to the bumpy handoff from goods to services that our economics team has been talking about. And wrapping up with takeaway number five, while we continue to believe that the Fed is mostly priced into the S&P 500, a Russian invasion of Ukraine doesn't appear to be and currently presents one of the key risks to the equity market. I recently spent some time talking to Halima Croft, RBC's commodity strategist who specializes in the geopolitics of oil, and we discussed what potentially good historical reference points for the Russia-Ukraine conflict might be. We came to the conclusion that there aren't really any good historical reference points for this conflict. But we did take a look at the historical playbook about what happens to the stock market around war, and we found it interesting that the two Iraq wars saw declines that are similar to the kind of drops we see around recessions in the S&P 500. In the second Iraq war, we saw the market fall 33%, which is right in line with the average recessionary drawdown. And in the first Iraq war, we saw a 19% drawdown. And that's actually on par with the kind of moves that we've seen post-financial crisis when the market has been in a growth scare, times that we saw occur 2010, 2011, 2015, 2016, and 2018. Our bottom line, we continue to think that the January 27th lows have a pretty good chance of holding, assuming that the U.S. can avoid a recession. But if we're wrong and Russia and Ukraine turn out to be the catalyst for further downside, a growth scare, a 15 to 20 percent drop from the year-to-date high, similar to what we've seen at various points in the post-financial crisis era, is probably the right way to think about potential downside risk. We've been increasingly thinking about the Russia-Ukraine conflict as something that has the potential to become similar in nature to the China trade war that sparked growth concerns in late 2018. That took the S&P 500 down nearly 20%. That's not our base case, but it's a risk we do have on our radar. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out our sister podcast, RBC's Industries in Motion, for thoughts on specific sectors from RBC's team of industry analysts. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.